0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s.
1: in Afghanistan, but the Abu Ghraib prison scandal was breaking, Fallujah was in chaos, the president's approval rating was dismal. So I think that this grandiose story about Pat was meant to deflect.
0: Mary Tillman, the mother of fallen soldier Pat Tillman. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Recently, we ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. And it has given us all time to reflect on those past two decades and all the lives lost. In all, some 2,300 U.S. service members were killed in Afghanistan. One in particular drew the attention of the American public, then 27-year-old Army Ranger Pat Tillman, a former NFL star who left behind a lucrative career with the Arizona Cardinals to enlist in the Army after 9-11, was killed in Afghanistan in 2004. That tragedy was then compounded when the Pentagon apparently lied to the public and to Tillman's family about the circumstances of his death. Initially, everyone was told that he died in a firefight with the enemy. It came out later, though, that Pat Tillman died by so-called friendly fire. A few years later, Pat Tillman's mother, Mary Tillman, wrote a book about her son and their experience and the aftermath of his death. And that's when I met her. So here now from 2008. Mary Tillman. You've been very careful up to this point with how much you have said publicly about uh, what happened to your son. Why did you now decide to write a book?
1: Well, we were trying to be very dignified and careful not to exploit Pat. Um, It was a real dilemma because of his high profile, um, the nature of, you know, his um, high profile football career and everything um, and him enlisting in the military the way he did. um, We were afraid that if we went public, people would just think, oh, well, you're just trying to get attention because of who he is. And um, but it got to the point where things were so um, suspicious in the stories we heard that we felt we had to do something. And so we did go to, um, you know, newspapers and try to get some answers and get, just get some information out. But um, those efforts didn't seem to be having the effect that we wanted them to. So um, Narda Zacchino, who was then the deputy um, editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, um, was kind of encouraging me to write a book. And I was uncomfortable doing that because I knew it would mean, you know, talking about personal things about our family and kind of revealing things that I may not want to reveal or other family members didn't want revealed. But um, then, you know, I just decided, well, she was probably right. I was going to have to present these deceptions, um, you know, to the public. And so I decided last year, um, or I should, pardon me, in 2006, I decided to begin writing the book
0: we in the american media sometimes will assign a headline to a person a headline to a story and that's all that people remember it for and your book shows that there's so much more to this story
1: Yeah, I mean, the book was written, you know, in part to present Pat to the reader as a human being, not just a caricature of a soldier athlete. Um, The other reason, of course, was to point out that, you know, the military and the government are, are certainly more than capable of lying to the public. And the fact that Pat is not the only soldier that the military has lied about. I mean, I have examples of five families in the book that were also... Um, dealing with deceptions and are still very confused and feel very betrayed.
0: Would I be correct in saying that that is probably what bothers you even more than the fact that you lost a son was the fact that you lost a son and then the government lied about it?
1: Well, there's hardly anything worse than losing, you know, um, a a young person, your child, um, you know, in a war situation. Um, you know, soldiers enlist in the military very quickly realizing they could die, they could be wounded, they could be emotionally or mentally damaged by the experience. But they really don't expect that their government and the military in which they serve is going to disrespect their service by lying about their deaths and lying to their families.
0: Is that to say, though, that had the Army come to you on day one and said, Mrs. Tillman, we have terrible news. Your son has been killed it was friendly fire it was unintentional and we're sorry would would that have would there be a book today if that if that had happened
1: um i don't think there would be. be i believe that you know of course it would it's a tragedy um friendly fire is a horrible and you know fratricide friendly fire is such a you know bizarre title to name you know that sort of event but um I don't, I don't believe there would be. I think one of the main reasons the book was written is because um, there's no accountability for the people who were responsible for the cover-up. I mean, clearly there was gross negligence in, in Pat's death, and I don't believe that the accountability was there. But it is a war situation. You can never really predict human behavior. Um, I don't think it was dealt with properly, and I think we might probably have pursued it to a point but i don't i don't believe to the extent we have and i don't believe at all that i would be writing a book
0: but as you just now pointed out war is chaotic it is messy it doesn't lend itself to an easy easy account of everything that has happened i mean there was bound to be some confusion some conflicting stories it wasn't there wasn't going to be an easy answer to this was there
1: Well, no, but I think some of the things that we discovered in the testimonies and the documents, you know, leave question um, about what happened. Um, These soldiers were were not being shot at when this happened. They were out of the danger zone. I think um, contrary to being in a fog of war, they were more in a lust to fight. They were really feeling safe. They were feeling excited. They admittedly said they were excited. One soldier said he just wanted to be in a firefight. Um, So I think that also... Not only were they um, shooting at the ridge line irresponsibly and negligently, but they also were firing so wildly they almost hit soldiers in the vehicle coming out of the canyon behind them. So this this should have been addressed um, by the military. Um, you know, they broke rules of engagement. Um, they shot at buildings uh, that were housing at least thirty children. Um, and in, that, in, in doing so, they wounded the platoon leader and the radio operator. I mean, it's not, it wasn't just the death of Pat and the AMF soldier, but they also wounded two men as well. And they could have killed the, many, many others or wounded many others.
0: Now, all of this that you have learned, you have painstakingly pieced together from seven investigations, two congressional hearings, media reports, eyewitness accounts. You've done more legwork than the U.S. government has done.
1: Well, I've done a lot of legwork. I mean, I think that the U.S. government has done legwork, but it's all been sort of in an attempt to, to, for smoke and mirrors. I mean, you know, they've, they've handed us a lot of papers. They've asked a lot of questions. They've redacted a lot of names and places. Um, to say they've not done work, they certainly have, but their, you know, their motivation for doing it and, you know, what they're trying to do with presenting it to us, I think, are two different things. They're they're doing it to, to skew, not to present the truth
0: after this short break why mary tillman says the lie her family was told was so much bigger now back to my 2008 conversation with mary tillman you were admitted you weren't real polite with some of the defense department officials that you met with because you knew they were lying to you
1: Yes, when we were when we met with um, the inspector general's, um, you know, agents and the criminal investigative division agent agents, um, they were clearly lying to us. We had also an ex ranger with us. Uh, he had been a ranger for 25 years. He was in Delta Force, and he was quite familiar with procedure and protocol in the military and. You know, and he just said that, you know, they were just lying to us. We knew they were lying to us. He validated it. And, you know, we were clearly very, very angry and not at all polite to these individuals.
0: Well, coming back to what we were talking about a moment ago about how this book is also an attempt to show us a more three-dimensional picture of who Pat was. I mean, clearly, there was a young man who went to junior high. He rode a bike. He, you know, I'm guessing he probably had a paper route or the equivalent. and uh, This was a a likable kid who who just, uh, you know, who had a bright future and wound up wrong place, wrong time.
1: Yeah, well, well he, he never really had a paper route. He did work at a he did work at a rock quarry, however, for a while. He didn't really like it too much, but um no, he was a very complicated individual as most people are. Um you know, he was very inquisitive, curious, fun-loving, earnest. Um he also, you know, got into his share of trouble and hopefully learned from, you know, some of it. Some of it was serious, which some of it, you know, I outline one of those situations in the book. Um You know, he was a human being, and he tried to learn from his mistakes, and he tried to do the right thing and make himself a better person, which is, you know, all you can ask of someone. But he was also a thinker and a complicated, you know, individual, Um, and he liked... He liked to hear what, you know, people's opinions were about things. And he was known to change his opinion based on other people's opinions and things that he read. Um, It's already been kind of bantered around that, you know, we're not a terribly religious family, which is true. But Pat, in particular, was very curious about people's, you know, beliefs. And he read about them and he respected them. Um, And I think that it's unfortunate that, that our family has taken some insults, you know, um, because of the fact that we're not necessarily religious, but I think we, you know, we've made mistakes. We all have, but you know, we try to do the right thing and try not to be too judgmental. Well,
0: even if you were religious, you'd be the wrong religion for some people.
1: Exactly. True enough. True enough. Yes.
0: Was the rest of the family okay with you writing this book?
1: Yes, everybody was really supportive. I mean, I showed the chapters to all the family members as I wrote them. I even showed the um, book chapters that were pertinent to. Um, mm-hmm you know some soldiers the ones that I could get in touch with I got their consent as well um, you know and there may be some things that um, you know certain family members didn't remember quite the way I wrote it but they said the essence was there and they were comfortable with it so
0: that's a good compliment then
1: yes <laughs> well it's based on my experience and my memory and um, certainly if um, anybody said that they were not comfortable with something in there I was willing to change it or take it out
0: well whose memory would be more vivid about this whole episode than yours.
1: Well, I don't know. I think everybody has, you know, their their memories are are equally valid. But fortunately, I was able to, you know, run everything by all my family, and they were in agreement to go ahead.
0: Now, what kind of reaction are you getting now on the book tour?
1: Very positive reaction, really. I mean, my friends who have read the book, I had quite a few people read the book for an accuracy. Um, you know, to make sure, you know, that um, my voice sounded, you know, consistent and, you know, various things. And all my friends have been very positive about the book. And, you know, the feedback I'm getting on the tour has been, you know, very positive. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are naysayers, but they haven't approached me. So
0: are there people or maybe some interviewers who think you have an agenda beyond just wanting to, to say the, the right things about your son?
1: Well, I think that some interviewers have suggested that maybe, you know, I'm trying to make this a political thing. And unfortunately, there there is a political undertone to it because, um, frankly, they made it political by using Pat as a propaganda tool. So in that sense, that's true. But this isn't really on party lines. I mean, this is a matter of an institution that has um, people in it that, are, that are lack integrity. Um, I, I don't think that, you know... A different administration of a different party um, necessarily can say that they have never done something like this. I think historically it's, that's not the case. I think that this is a reminder that all minist- administrations are capable of this kind of deception, and they think they can get away with it. They think the ends justify the means, whatever 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 they do to sleep at night. Um, but. You know, it shouldn't be tolerated, and we do have a system of checks and balances that should be um, overseeing, you know, this kind of lack of integrity and hold people accountable. And, you know, it seems as though people don't have the courage or the will to do that. This deception was not just a deception to our family. This lie was a deception to deceive the public and to deflect the horrible events that were taking place in April 2004 at the time Pat died over in Iraq. Um, I mean, Pat died in Afghanistan, but there were lots of the Abu Ghraib prison scandal was breaking, Fallujah was in chaos, um, the president's approval rating was dismal, and the most casualties of the war took place April 2004 up to that point. So I think that this grandiose story about Pat was meant to deflect those stories, and this administration only needs those things to deflect for a short period of time because the public has a short memory, and it's very hard to change that first perception, and they know it.
0: You can find easy Amazon links to Mary Tillman's book at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Vietnam War-era Army nurse, Winnie Smith.
1: 18, 20-year-old, you know, dying by himself, 10,000 miles from home. And usually they were unconscious, but occasionally they would be awake, and they could grasp what was happening.
0: And my interview with Admiral Elmo Zumwalt.
1: The decision... Uh, on the use of Agent Orange is not unlike most decisions in war, which are the least worst alternatives. Uh, So it was with Agent Orange. We saved thousands, even though we are in the long run probably going to lose hundreds of those thousands.
0: And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, one of the most prominent figures on Christian television in the 1970s and the 1980s who had a spectacular fall from grace, went to prison, and then wrote a book called I Was Wrong, my 1996 interview with the Reverend Jim Baker. I had been preaching
1: a gospel of uh, prosperity. But God has nothing to do with material things as far as I'm concerned today. You know, whether you're rich or poor, God loves you the
0: same. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.